0: Welcome to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance, strong themes, and coarse language may apply. Damn it.
1: Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack, and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective.
2: The name's Dixon, Trixie Dixon, girl detective. They say that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Personally, I've found one or two more direct routes in my time. For the benefit of those of you who tittered or covered the children's ears at that statement, let me just say that I'm surprised and disappointed in all of you. And if you've been paying any attention all these months, you'd know that the most direct route to a man's heart is through his ribcage with a soft-nosed revolver bullet. And I'm far too much of a lady to have meant anything else. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. As for Jack's heart, I'd need a doctor's certificate to be absolutely sure that he had one. But this much I can say with a fair amount of certainty... His stomach certainly was the quickest route to the off switch for his brain. That morning, when the call came in from Braithwaite's, to say we were a little surprised is an understatement. We would have been a little surprised if it had been Sir Walter Raleigh or Rasputin the Mad Monk. Braithwaite's was downright shocking. Braithwaite's was the biggest spit-and-polish detective agency in town, the outfit that had turned the private eye business into something slightly duller than a visit to your Aunt Minnie's. We had very little evidence to suggest that they were officially aware of our existence, and if they were, they'd never before given us the satisfaction of letting us know it. Not that there was much satisfaction to be had in the call. A clipped nasal and very secretaria voice had cut me off the moment I picked up the blower and said, This is Braithwaite's calling. Hold for Mr. Martin, please. Jack had pushed his fedora back to reveal one half-open, steel-gray eye peering quizzically at me. I tried to mouth Braithwaite's, but it only confused and annoyed him. He took his size-12 gunboats off his desk for the first time in two hours and allowed his hand to settle gently on the form of King Jr., the office watchdog, who was sleeping in a makeshift crib Jack had constructed out of his inbox. He had achieved this miracle by moving its contents into my inbox, but by the time I'd noticed, King was sound asleep, and he was far too new for us to do anything but take turns spoiling him, so... I let it go. In time, there was a short series of clicks and a man's voice on the other end of the line said, Hello? Hello? Yes? Is this Mr. Martin?
0: Of course. Who is this? What do you want?
2: It's Trixie Dixon of Justice and Dixon Private Investigations, Mr. Martin. And since you called me and don't appear to want anything... Oh, I'm sorry,
0: Miss Dixon, my apologies. We have a new girl on the switchboard.
2: She should get down. That's bad for her posture.
0: Of course. Uh, She'll be dealt with, I assure you.
2: Not on my account, I hope. Dixon,
0: we have a business proposition for you and your partner.
2: A uh, bit Well, certainly, Mr. Martin. When can you come by the office? The office. Or perhaps you'd prefer a house call. A house call. There's a terrible echo on this line. Uh, what is it you do for Braithwaite's, Mr. Martin? You don't strike me as an investigator.
0: An investigator? Oh, my, no. I'm Lawrence Braithwaite's private secretary.
2: Well, that's very progressive of him. Wait, hold the phone. Lawrence Braithwaite? Of the Braithwaite's Braithwaite's?
0: The very same. He wonders if you both might meet him at his club for dinner to discuss it.
2: His club? Oh, sure, where and when?
0: He will send a car around to your offices to collect you if you'd like. Six o'clock? Six o'clock. Am I to understand that we have a dinner date
3: with the gentleman detective himself?
2: Sounds like. Intrigued?
3: If by intrigued, you mean suspicious. Very, very suspicious. Yes, I am.
2: We'd spent the rest of the day engaged in a series of worst-case scenarios. What could make the wealthy owner-operator of a firm like Braithwaite's, a man who'd made his fortune by being everything we weren't? Why would such a man spend car, driver, and dinner at his club on little old us? Jack said, be careful. Jack said, watch your back. Jack said, question every little thing and don't be surprised if they drive us out to the country to shoot us. That was before Jack met his new best friend, Prime Rib.
3: The name's Justice. Jack, Justice. There is something truly miraculous about a good piece of beef. Every other pleasure you can name carries with it a certain degree of vice. Wine, women, song? Well, maybe not song, but you get my point. To those of a sensitive or squeamish disposition, I apologize... But there is no denying the brushstrokes of a divine hand determined an animal with as few redeeming social graces as the cow could be transformed through the application of slow, gentle heat into something as silken and perfect as the prime rib in front of me. If Lawrence Braithwaite had tried to get me drunk or slipped me a mickey, it never would have worked. It didn't take much to see that the lavish dinner at the Club Tres Share was nothing more or less than an attempt to dull my wits with sweet, nourishing beef. Trouble was, the only way to avoid that would have been to leave it on my plate. And that just wasn't going to happen. I trust you enjoyed your meal, Mr.
1: Justice?
2: You deduce that just from the fact that he hasn't breathed in twenty minutes? You really are, Detective.
3: Please forgive my partner. I tried to tell her not to get the chicken. That
2: chicken was fine. The side dish of suspense killed my enthusiasm a little.
3: Suspense? How do you mean, my dear?
2: Mr. Braithwaite, let's cut the malarkey a little, shall we?
3: I'm afraid I don't follow you. Mr. Justice? Hmm? I wasn't really listening. Jack. My partner is waiting for the other shoe to drop, Braithwaite. She's concerned it might be an oversized novelty wingtip and crush us like a pair of hard-boiled bugs. Indeed. And you, sir? I think she's probably right. I just don't care.
2: Mr. Braithwaite.
1: Lawrence, please. All right,
2: that tears it. Would
1: either of you care for some dessert or coffee? Oh, coffee for me, please.
2: Jack, will you try and focus?
1: Coffee for Mr. Justice Edward?
2: Listen, Braithwaite, it's not that we're swimming in other invitations to four-star restaurants. In fact, the last place I ate that even had a star was a Texaco Station. And clearly it's had a desired effect on my partner. But I think it's time we cut to the chase. We're here because you want something from us. What is it?
3: She's terribly blunt. And she's terribly right.
2: And she's sitting right here, so talk to her.
1: Very well, my dear. I shall make with the goods, as they say. Do they? Jack. In point of fact, we find ourselves with something of a surplus of activity within the halls of Braithwaite's detective agency. And having been assured that your agency was reliable and above all discreet... I thought it not unreasonable to farm out one or two of our simpler cases from time to time to deserving operatives such as yourselves.
2: Uh-huh. Even my square-jawed colleague with that meat-addled smile isn't going to fall for that one. Yeah,
3: that's right. Why not?
2: Because he could have got that if he'd sent a flunky round with a $50 retainer. We'd have sung and danced, possibly with each other. Well,
3: let's not go crazy.
2: You've got a reputation as something of a hard case, Braithwaite. And it's a reputation I respect. If you're buttering us up this badly, you must be in pretty deep. So let's start over while Jack's coffee is still hot, shall we?
1: Very well. A young woman by the name of Anna Benson came into our offices today and met with one of my junior operatives. Miss Benson is seeking information regarding the present location of her father and in facilitating a reunion under the auspices of a detective agency for her own protection. Protection? She is not from the city. Knows no one here and wisely decided to have someone in her corner, should her father desire the reunion less than she herself does.
2: Why should it be a problem? Was there some history?
1: Quite the opposite, Miss Dixon. Miss Benson has never met her father. She was, if I may be indelicate, born outside the bonds of matrimony. Please, I'm still finishing my coffee. I do beg your pardon. Her mother was Edwina Benson, at one time quite a prominent young socialite. She was engaged to be married to a man named Hugo Dwyer.
2: The industrialist?
1: Today, yes, he is a very wealthy man. At the time, he was simply a reckless young gadabout. Twenty-two years ago, for persons of a certain class, society was rather more permissive than it is today. But the consequences were still very serious.
3: Not for Mr. Dwyer, it seems. Where was Papa Benson with his trusty shotgun?
1: It seems, sir, that the... Actual lineage of the child that grew to be Miss Anna Benson was in a certain amount of doubt. A young Miss Edwina was packed off to the country, never to return.
2: That sounds awfully final.
1: And so it is. Anna Benson's mother died two months ago after a short and, I'm afraid, unhappy life. Young Anna set out to the city to reconnect with the only family she has left in the world. Or so she told my junior operative.
2: Do you have reason to doubt it?
1: I have enough. Mr. Dwyer is an exceedingly wealthy man with a family and reputation. He is a pillar of the community, as indeed are... one or two other individuals who were touted as possible... interested parties back in the day. You get a whiff of blackmail? That, sir, I could not say. It is certainly a possibility. In any event, it strikes me as exceedingly unlikely... that any of the gentlemen concerned would welcome the girl with open arms. Bound to cause a terrible scandal... It is exactly the sort of case that Braithwaite's detective agency wants nothing to do with.
2: What kind is that?
1: The kind that rattle gilded cages. As you say, sir. But Miss Benson is an exceedingly pretty girl, and by the time I learned of the matter, my junior operative had already placed us under certain contractual obligations to assist her with the case.
2: Contractual obligations which you can free yourselves from if you subcontract out to another licensed outfit.
1: In a nutshell.
2: So you find yourself an agency you've got no faith at all in, and you don't mind seeing dragged through the mud for possibly assisting in a blackmail caper, and you stuff a stupid on a week's worth of meat and hope for the best.
3: As you say. Well, it worked. Jack. Two hundred dollars a day, plus expenses.
1: Preposterous! Miss Benson is only paying us sixty-five, and that is for the services of the finest
3: agency in town. The finest agency in town is the one that'll take the job off your hands, Mr. B. And that agency wants $200 a day, plus expenses. You pay your own expenses. Fine. I'll take the beef already consumed in lieu. Your partner is in agreement?
2: Under a strange combination of protest and greed, I accept. Draw up a contract, Braithwaite, and we'll meet the girl in the morning.
1: I just happen to have the necessary papers here in my jacket.
2: And so it was that we found ourselves, at least for the time being, in the employ of the biggest, shiniest detective agency in town. And if they were leading us to a slaughter of bad publicity, at least we were robbing them blind in the process. This, to Jack, was a fair trade. Besides, he said, the kind of people who are put off by a little rough and tumble in the papers don't darken our door that often. Anna Benson was in our office at ten o'clock the next morning. Braithwaite was right. She was a looker. But more than that, she seemed to exude a simple honesty and openness that Providence seems to bestow upon small-town girls. She tried not to look disappointed with the changes in her circumstances, but I could tell she was almost blinking back tears. Braithwaite's was a bustling office full of bright young men who looked exactly the same, chasing paper around a series of concentric circles. We had a broken-down old warhorse, tinkering with an equally broken-down percolator, A puppy wrestling with Lawrence Braithwaite's doggy bag, T-Bone, which was nearly half his size, wall-to-wall peeling paint, and yours truly. I'm sure the last item was some consolation, but it was still a shock to the poor girl's system. Forgive
4: me, please. I'm just a little overwhelmed. I went all over this yesterday with the gentleman at Braithwaite's.
3: Then it should be easy to remember. Milk and sugar?
4: No, thank you. I take it black.
3: Be still, my foolish heart. I hate to see people mess up a perfectly good cup of Costa Rica... Uh, This actually has a touch of dark roast from Guatemala. I use it sparingly, but I think you'll find it pleasant. Yeah,
2: that's fine, thanks. Just bring us the breakfast menu.
4: I don't understand. The gentleman at Braithwaite's...
3: Miss Benson, I don't know what they told you at Braithwaite's, but the truth of the matter is your case is too hot for them. It's unlikely to end well and more than likely to bring some rough water to the agency involved.
4: But the gentleman at Braithwaite's... Is
3: probably by this time less of a junior operative and more of a senior janitor, if that... We may not have as much spit and polish, but we won't let you sink when the going gets rough. And the coffee's better here. Try it.
4: Oh, that is really awfully good.
3: See? All the comforts of home. Uh, The puppy's name is King. Feel free to scratch his ears if it helps you relax.
4: Hello, King.
2: There is one matter which would ease our minds somewhat, Miss Benson. You must know that one of the reasons you're here is that Braithwaite's was concerned you might try and blackmail your father.
4: Blackmail? Well, never.
2: I swear. You know that there's very little chance of a happy ending?
4: An ending is all I require, Miss Dixon. Happy or no.
3: One moment. Justice and Dixon, private. Well, well. Freddie Hawthorne. My old legitimate business pal. Freddie says hi. Swell. She says she misses you something awful, Freddie. What's that? Yes, as a matter of fact, there is an Anna Benson here. You don't say. When? When? How did they know she was here? All right, forget it. Thanks, Frederick. I owe you one. See you around. Who was that? A fellow we know by the name of Freddy the Finger. He must be back to playing lookout. He was spending some quality time with a stolen police radio.
2: Police? I think I hate where this is going.
3: Miss Benson, where were you last night?
2: At my hotel. From
4: eight o'clock until just an hour ago.
3: Anybody see you? I am traveling alone, Mr. Justice. No offense intended. Look at me.
2: Jack, what's going on?
3: Trouble, that's what. I believe her. You? Sure, why? Miss Benson, I said we wouldn't let you sink, but I didn't expect this much rough water. Trix, take Miss Benson to the usual place, and uh, take her at the fire escape, would you?
2: A fire escape? Jack, what is it?
3: Freddy says the bulls are on their way here to collect our client. Looks like we missed that reunion. Hugo Dwyer has been murdered. You are listening to Black
1: Jack Justice. From com.
2: The usual place was a motel just out of town of the no-questions-asked variety. And having been blessed with a heavy foot for such a delicate flower, I had our client there almost as quickly as we could get down the fire escape and out to my car. I'm not normally in the habit of protecting a murder suspect, but there were several things about this that didn't add up. If Anna Benson wanted Hugo Dwyer dead, why would she make herself a suspect by meeting with detectives? And if she'd been put in a position where she had no choice, could this farm-fresh little girl really have kept her cool in our office this morning? My money said no. And that was another thing. When the cops found Dwyer's body, what sent them running straight into our embrace? Braithwaite. I'm sorry? Anna, did you tell anyone where you were going this morning, anyone at your hotel?
4: Well, no one. Uh, just the man on the telephone from... Braithwaite's. You don't think...
2: I don't have to. How long have you been in town? Two days. Tell anyone except for the Brill Cream boy wonder at Braithwaite's why you were here?
4: It's a subject that gives me no great pleasure to talk about, Trixie. So that's a no? No one.
2: I swear. You hadn't approached Dwyer or contacted him in any way?
4: Dwyer? Well, no, of course not.
2: And even if we don't pause to wonder how the boys in blue knew where to find you on this particular morning... How did they come up with the bright idea of you as a suspect in the first place? How? Try not to be too naive, Sweet Pea. Big Larry Braithwaite ratted you out. Now the question is, why?
4: I don't understand.
2: By now they'll be tired of Jack's tap dance routine and they'll have him downtown. If I knock on too many doors for the wares and the whys, we'll both find ourselves in the pokey. And then where will you be?
4: Well, then what do we do?
2: I was almost grateful for the heavy knock on the door. Anna Benson's question was the same one I was asking myself, and I didn't have an answer for her. Without more information, I was up a tree. I hoped our gentleman caller could oblige, and I slipped the safety off the Beretta just to make sure he was in a cooperative mood. I moved for the door as quickly and quietly as I could. I took the chain off without making a sound suddenly it occurred to me that this might just be a cop and he just might have some friends and that pointing a gun at him might be a very good way to wind up the most attractive piece of swiss cheese in the neighborhood i was still thinking on that when i heard a familiar noise on the other side of the door hey! king
3: he's subtle isn't he we're gonna have to work on that
2: what are you doing here
3: you want we should leave
2: get in here freddie got it wrong didn't he
3: freddie got it right hugo dwyer was shot dead at his front door at or about eleven thirty last night He was plugged twice and dead before he hit the floor.
2: How'd you get out of there?
3: The cops asked if we had a client named Anna Benson. I said yes, we expected her any moment, and would they like a cup of coffee? They did like the coffee. They liked it very much, in fact. And right about the time when they would normally lose their patience and start to wonder if I was lying and needed to be hauled downtown and worked over, Mighty King here started to whine to be let out. Worked like a charm. They think we're walking around the block. In my defense... I never said which block.
2: Well, that buys us some time.
3: Let's not try and spend it all in one place, particularly here. You got anything?
2: You mean aside from pegging Braithwaite's for the Benedict Arnold routine?
3: That sounds right enough, but why? Why what? Why any of it? We don't really think they pulled the trigger, so why the frame?
2: If they even think it's a frame.
3: Don't start giving them credit. The prime rib wasn't that good. Miss Benson didn't shoot her father, so who did and why?
2: My father. It's all right, Anna. No, it isn't. Hugo Dwyer is not My father. Are we actually that dumb?
3: Dumb enough to assume that Lawrence Braithwaite told us any truth at all? I'm afraid we are.
2: True or false, Hugo Dwyer was at one time engaged to your mother. Well, that's true. But it wasn't him... Miss Benson,
3: we're all in a little too deep for blushing.
2: I'm sorry, Mr. Justice.
3: Don't be. Just assume whatever you've got to say I've heard a hundred times worse. Because that's actually about right.
2: Braithwaite said there were one or two others on the list of possible...
3: Uh, Don't you start.
2: Well, he
4: said that? He did. I told them the name of the man who seduced my mother, who ended her engagement in scandal. It was Joshua Stevens. Joshua Stevens? You know him? In
3: terms of money and influence in this town, he makes Hugo Dwyer look like a featherweight. And with his reputation as a hard-as-nails businessman... It's easy to see why he might have a use for a firm like Braithwaite's.
2: He's probably got them on retainer.
3: So they drop the conflict of interest in our laps the minute Stevens' name comes up.
2: Which is fine.
3: Then they tip off Stevens that his little chicken is on her way home to roost. Which
2: is creepy, but probably not illegal.
3: None of which explains how the cops wind up in our palatial offices. Or does it? you got something? Maybe. Good enough. Let's roll.
4: Wait. I still don't understand how I became a suspect in a murder.
3: Miss Benson... Would you like to know how sure I am that you couldn't have done such a thing? Yes. I'm going to let you take care of my car and my dog.
0: Miss Carson, I said I was not to be disturbed.
2: You were disturbed before we arrived.
0: Who the devil are you? How did you get past my secretary? Don't be too hard on the poor
3: girl, Mr. Stevens. She's five foot nothing and I'm not.
0: I should warn you she'll be calling the police even as we speak.
3: Did we remember to flash that badge on the way in?
2: The one that came with my Ovaltine? Sure did.
3: Don't touch that phone, Stevens. We got a few things to clear up before the police are called. And when they are, we both know it isn't us that'll be taken away. You're Jack Justice. Right first try. He's very good.
2: Very, very good.
3: My partner, Miss Dixon.
2: In fact, Jack, can you think of anything that might have prompted Mr. Stevens to guess your name?
3: Not unless he... Made an anonymous telephone call this morning advising the police that a young lady they might wish to question in regards to the murder of Hugo Dwyer happened to be in our offices. But I can't imagine how he would have come to know that, can you?
2: Not unless the good folks at Braithwaite's tipped him off that a little present was on his way. A product of some unwrapping he did, oh, about twenty-some years ago. Jack? Yeah? He's smiling. I see it. Why are you smiling, Mr. Stevens? We hate
0: that. You two are every bit as incompetent as I was told. None of this is illegal, and you two are trespassing.
2: Uh, Try this one on for size, Buster. Lawrence Braithwaite comes to you, gives you the skinny on the Benson girl. You know the only way to keep her from showing up at your door is to kill her or put her behind bars.
3: But she's staying at a hotel. Someone's bound to see you there.
2: But if you kill the man her mother had been engaged to marry when you ruined her and threw suspicion on Anna... Your
0: own daughter... She is not my daughter... She is a youthful indiscretion, a liability.
2: She's a human being.
0: She's a parasite. Braithwaite recognized her for what she was, advised me to pay. Good advice. It's only money. Only money? Sir, you sound like a communist. And what of my reputation? My family. I am Joshua Stevens. Do you really think the two of you can bring me down?
4: You thought I could. Anna,
0: you shouldn't be here.
3: You shouldn't have come. Don't
4: worry. King is in the car and I cracked the window open. Jack means this is no place for you. This is the only place for me, Trixie. I had to follow you. I had to come. I had to see him.
0: My God. You... You look just like her.
4: Almost. I have your eyes. I can see it now. Yes. How does it feel to see your own eyes looking back at you so full of hate? Anna! Stop! Stop!
0: Put away that gun.
4: You didn't know if I was coming here to blackmail you or embarrass you or just to say, here I am, Daddy. You didn't know and you didn't care. Young lady. My name is Anna.
3: Anna, put the gun down. Please,
4: Mr. Justice, stay out of this.
0: For God's sake, stop her. She'll kill me.
4: Yes, I'll kill you. But I'll show you more mercy than you showed my mother. I'll kill you quickly. Anna,
3: don't make me shoot you, Angel. You followed us here. You used us to find a man you intended to kill. That makes us accessories. If I don't stop, you will all swing.
4: You don't understand what he did to her. Does
3: not excuse cold-blooded murder. Now put the gun down. Trix, I could use a little support here.
2: Sure, Jack. Drop the gun.
3: Quit clowning. I
2: mean it. Drop it.
3: Trixie, this is murder. It's no better than what Stevens did to Dwyer.
2: Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Drop it. Well, Miss Benson, it's your call.
4: She had everything.
2: And you took it all away, and you said
4: nothing, did nothing to defend her. She died as she had lived the entire time I knew her. She never had a moment's joy that wasn't tinged with grief. Grief for the life she'd lost. The people who turned their backs on her. And the only thing she loved. Has your eyes. Nothing I could do to you is too much.
0: Please. Please. Oh god. Please no. No. I, I I just want just wanted to protect what I had. I I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Please.
4: Where is the gun you killed Hugo Dwyer with?
0: I threw it in in a ravine.
4: Write down where. And write a full confession. Now. Yes. Yes. Then we'll call the police and some reporters. I was prepared to show you kindness, to kill you quickly. Now you'll see how it felt for her all those years.
2: See? She's no killer.
3: You seemed awful sure.
2: She cracked a window for the puppy.
3: There is that. You better call the law.
2: You don't look happy.
3: You pointed a gun at me. I don't even know what to say to you.
2: You have pointed guns at me on four separate occasions.
3: All right, we'll call it even.
2: And so we shook on it, and that was that. I called the law, Jack called the papers, and the next day, King wrote his reviews all over the articles. Jack kept Braithwaite's name out of it, which was odd. Till I realized that the sort of clients they liked best wouldn't see anything wrong in what they did. No free publicity for the gentleman detective on Jack's watch. Well, we weren't likely to see a meal like that again. But I treated Jack and King to some corned beef from the deli downstairs. And in an hour, they were stretched out on the green leather couch in the corner of our palatial office, unconscious and content. After all, the way to a man's heart—nah, uh, you know.
1: Blackjack Justice, episode 16, "The Beefsteak Botheration," was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices by Leslie Livingston, M. John Kennedy, and Greg Taylor. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. <laughs>
0: There is a new SUV that's unlike any other. It's big because you want big, but you also don't want to worry about lousy gas mileage. And with the new Skeeter SUV, that worry is a thing of the past. Thanks to new hybrid technology, you can get more miles per gallon in your big Skeeter SUV. How does it work? Easy. As you approach a wimpy little car from the rear and start to climb over it with a Skeeter's pageant Action Track Suspension, a special metal tube projects from the Skeeter, piercing the gas tank of the car and sucking out all the gas therein. It only takes a few seconds, then you can roll right over that car and leave it empty husk behind as nature intended yes the new skeeter is a hybrid of suv technology and classic mosquito design the skeeter is definitely an itch you can scratch get over to your skeeter dealer
2: today but hurry get there before you see a skeeter in your rearview mirror